This is the Delivery Space podcast and whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we've got some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you those insights and experiences that you don't get from a book. Welcome, it's Sharon and Nisha and this is our episode on making difficult conversations easier. Morning Nisha. Hey Sharon, how are you doing? Really good, thank you. How about you? I'm well, thanks, and excited to have Sam on as our guest this morning. Hello, Sam. Hi, ladies. How are you doing? Great to be here. It's awesome, and we hope to dive in straight away. But before we do, Sam, I want to tell our listeners a bit about you. So Sam is a change alchemist, a coach, a facilitator, transformational space holder with more than 25 years experience of delivering and leading change within both IT and business for some of the biggest investment banks where she reached director level as well as entrepreneurial startups including her own. Throughout her career her experiences have revealed that the technical problems that we face are never the things that hold us back and cause us the most stress. It's all in the way that we work and collaborate or not. Sam loves to help make working life better by helping individuals, teams and leaders find their full capability, learn tools of successful collaboration and unlearn everything else that gets in the way of creativity, innovation and growth. Sam is also a yogi and bio optimizer, (laughs) something I'm going to ask her about during the recording. She's been trained by the Human Potential Institute deeply looking into the factors that underpin exceptional performance, vibrant energy and radiant health. Sam teaches performance breathwork and mind training sessions, both privately and for corporate clients. Welcome, Sam. Thanks very much, Nisha. What's a bio-optimizer? Give it to us. Explain. Well, I think bio-optimization, there was, there was a term biohacker that I think in itself got upgraded. And the idea is, is that you can, you know, we, we control our health. You know, we have a lot more um, ability to influence our own health rather than thinking about, you know, health being something outside us, you know, that we go and see a doctor. So when you, you know, I think about in the context of our working life, You know, we talk a lot about, you know, working in, you know, we're knowledge workers, you know. Mm. And so really it becomes about, so if everything is in the quality of our thinking, you know, it's looking at the factors of what helps us improve our thinking. So Mm. if you take a bio-optimizer point of view, you look at, you know, biology, physiology, as well as your psychology. So it's like what you eat and how you move and then, you know, how you do things like take little micro breaks through the day and everything we know about productivity. So, you know, that in a nutshell is a bit about what a bio-optimizer is, I guess, you know, and it means that, you know, I, you know, I take a lot of care over what I eat. I take a lot of supplements and uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's bio-optimizing. I get it. It's also, I, I and I like the fact that you've placed that consideration, not just on the actual productivity of work, but all the other things on the periphery that we are giving more attention to now 
that influence our productivity, our performance, how we relate to others. Yeah, because it's true that when we feel energised, when we are happier, you know, everything in our life goes better. You know, Mm. our, our, our work, our family, our friends, even our relationship with ourself, Mm. you know, and that's what I realized, you know, what I really see is that, um, everything we do becomes better when our health, our energy and our relationships are running well. Yeah. Absolutely. Go on, Sharon. That we've mentioned, isn't it, Nisha, about looking at things through that holistic lens and making sure that the foundation is solid and then everything just kind of builds from that. Yeah. And when we're talking about like um re-energizing ourselves there's loads of conversations Sharon and I have where I'm deliberating whether to get up from here my desk and go out for a run or in prep for a presentation or something that I have to do that's big that's quite significant and Sharon's always like get out there because then you'll finish it in half the time that you think so it's it's something that we're thinking about more and yeah Sharon's a, a big encourager of that (laughs) <laughs> yeah I'm I'm reminded that you know um balance is a it is a process not a destination and it's like mm. like walking you know we it's a falling 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 but we just go from side to side to side so we walk straight and it's a bit yeah. like that with balance you know um if we can get enough of outside exercise whatever inspires us you know it makes the other side of it you know whatever that is go a lot better doesn't it yeah absolutely talking of well-being one of these important things that I think we could I know I could do better and handle better is difficult conversations what about these conversations makes them so difficult Sam well I think basically a difficult conversation could be anything that we personally find difficult and I think a lot of you know, when we think about difficult, what is that difficult? A lot of Mm. it is our own internal difficult feelings. But that can come from something that we're worried about, or it can come with something we're afraid of in other people, or particularly in this time that we live in right now, it can actually come from the topic itself. You know, I think we've had some really big things come up, you know, in the past couple of years, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, the situation with George Floyd, even this situation in Ukraine, you know, where we've been working with both, you know, Russians and Ukrainians, and it's thrown Mm. up topics that we might not have wanted to discuss, but actually there is a sort of like a need to discuss that difficult conversation. Mm. I think when you say that there are things that they definitely bring up difficult feelings within us and and I think that's the crux of it because immediately as you said that I was thinking about oh actually yeah that the the feeling around I'm not comfortable having that conversation is is coming up within me it's not really about that other person it is often about uh things I'm not so happy in bringing up sometimes or not comfortable to bring up sometimes yeah Yeah. And often we're afraid of other people's reactions, aren't we? If I think about myself, um, one of the reasons that I really love this topic is because, 
you know, I think I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a wuss. <laughs> so I, I really don't like upsetting other people, you know, and so I know that I've, you know, one of the things that makes conversations difficult for me is I'm worried about how the other person's going to react. Yeah. And that, that's often like something that you contend with in your mind, but let's say in a work setting, like working in the area that we work in within the delivery space, not every conversation is going to be a walk in the park. Sometimes you're going to have to speak to people about things that you'd rather not speak to people about that are uncomfortable, maybe about performance, maybe about maybe owning up about something that you've missed the ball on. Um, you know, I've done that several times and I've not felt comfortable about that, but once I've had that conversation, it's just become so much easier, guys, because I've been able to kind of clear the air and be honest with myself and go, actually, do you know what, guys, if you're working with a team, I've dropped the ball on this. Really sorry about it. Let's let's try and get our heads together on how to how, you know, and then we've come through that rather than holding on to all a sense of failure, which, you know, can can be a, a barrier in having a good conversation. Yeah, and I think that's the first really, really good distinction to draw out here is that, you know, rather than being afraid of, uh, you know, a difficult conversation because we think there's going to be a bad outcome, actually, if we have some of the tools right, conversationally, mm. to handle that conversation, then there is always something better on the other side. Because what we've unpacked is the, you know, we understand somebody else better. You know, we understand mm. their motivations or what's important to them, and they understand that about us. So actually, that was the biggest thing I realised on my journey, is that, you know, rather than shy away from these, actually see them as an opportunity for building a stronger relationship. You know, that's, that's a really positive way to look at it, isn't it? And reframe it because most most people, you know, most of us, we don't like having those difficult conversations. But like Nisha said, we have to have them because this is real life. You know, we have to have them within the jobs that we do and with, you know, within our family settings. So I'm keen to know you did touch on tools. If we do have to have those difficult conversations, is there anything that we can do to better prepare ourselves for them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there's a there's a couple of different threads we could pull on here. So I think the first one is we could we could maybe think about what type of difficult conversation is it? So Nisha was talking about owning up to a mistake or maybe it's pointing out a mistake. Mm. So there's this category of difficult conversations that are about Ooh, there's just like a, a theme of blame, you know, even performance conversations, you know, holding people to account. There's something blamey about it, you know. And then there could be a category that's about, well, it's something we want or, you know, something that we want to request from someone or something that's really important to us, but we're afraid of, you know. And then we talked about those topics. Right. So if we're. If we're preparing ourselves for a conversation that's a bit blamey, maybe what we could do is, in actual fact, I think this applies across the board because a great step to prepare ourselves is actually to think, what's important to me about this conversation? What do I want to get from this conversation? 
and then to actually take the position of the other person to think, okay, what's their take on this situation and what might they want from this? Okay, so that mm. we've already kind of considered their side a little bit. Um, the other thing that I think it's really helpful is to is to tap into our own feelings because that tension that we feel, it's good to be present to that because sometimes we just ignore it and we rush over it and we don't actually realise that we're quite stressed because, you know, half the time, I'm curious, right, does this resonate with you? Half the time, what we're reacting to is actually the story that we're creating in our head about this. So it might be, oh, I know that I want to use a Mac for this recording. And actually, this might cause Nisha and Sharon a real problem about it. Oh, they might hate me. They're going to be cursing me. They're going to be talking badly <laughs> about me. You see, all of that is just made up in my head. Yeah. So it's good to like just tap into how do I feel? Where's that coming from? So that we can kind of clear some of that emotion out of the way. Yeah, I can relate to that where you say, where you, you do really create these stories, don't you? And it's not actually reality. And it could be based on previous history, you know, but it's not actually reality. But I can definitely re relate to thinking, oh, what if this happens? Or they're going to respond like this, and then that will cause X, Y, Z. But it is a story, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And I think it's good to be prepared. It's good to understand where someone might be coming from but yeah. also to not create a story because when we create a story we're much more likely to make the other person live out that story because all yeah. relationships are a bit cause and effect you know yes yeah so, so if we're can if we're making a little plan about what we want what we think they want if we're clearing out our emotional kind of situation then the other thing we can think about is actually planning the conversation so checking in with someone saying that you want to talk to them about it and then finding a good time because sometimes I think what we do um, I know I used to do a lot of is I do all this thinking all this preparation and then spring it on someone and say right so I want to talk about this thing you know and I'd go through it because I'd thought about it and none of that had been in their head so I've now just kind of hijacked them, you know. Mm. So I think it's also that third step of, you know, checking in and finding a good time to have that conversation. That's another good point to take on board, that sometimes it's like, got to have this difficult conversation, just want to have it and be done with it, so I'm just going to have it now. <laughs> but actually, that might not suit the other person because we haven't given them space and time to do the same prep. So that's, that's a really good point. Exactly. And there's also another tip I'll share with you that actually I, I got this from uh, from my friend. And um, yeah, she's uh, so she is, uh, you know, head of an HR function and she often has difficult conversations with her business partners. And this great little technique that she uses is she'll say, oh, now that's a bit of a hot topic because I'm coming at this from a very different perspective from you is this something we can have a conversation about? Mm, so I to like make it, it really tangible, for example, you know, I don't know, the business might want to hire someone and they've already got a candidate lined up and there's a clash and she'll say, oh, so can we talk about the candidate 
for this? Is that something that's available to talk about? You know, and they'll either say yes and they can have it out or no, that one's off the table. And then, you know, it's, you know, you save a lot of energy. And I think that conversation is so useful because she's actually, in what she's saying, she's kept the emotion out of it. She's asking for action first, regardless of what she wants to get out of that conversation. It's just a next step to move closer to coming to an agreement, right? Exactly. And actually, what you're, what you're touching on there, Nisha, is another perspective that's really helpful to have that makes difficult conversations easier. And that's to think of the long term. Mm. So, so often, especially when something's difficult, we get a bit of tunnel vision and we're just thinking about solving this particular problem. Mm. Whereas something that I notice is if we're thinking long term, if we're thinking strategically about this relationship, you know, where do I want this relationship with my sponsor? For example, quite often we might have difficult conversations with our sponsor. You know, we've got limitations in our piece of work. You know, we've got delivery challenges and we know they want so much more. So instead of solving a problem from a very, you know, just that situation, we might want to think, where do we want our relationship to be longer term? Mm. So that, again, helps take some of the heat out of it because it's like just an individual battle. It's not the whole war, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think that's appreciated from the others that you're trying to have that conversation with. I know in lots of scenarios with senior stakeholders where you have to deliver news that's not does not feel comfortable for you to deliver, but you go in there cognizant of the fact that you've got a longer term relationship with this stakeholder. You're potentially going to be engaging with them on other projects, other programs, other areas of delivery. And so to keep that wide angle lens in mind in the way that you and and in the way that you communicate, but also the timings of it, right? You don't want to go and communicate an, an uncomfortable message lasting on a Friday afternoon and not give them a chance to actually prepare their questions for something you want they would want to know why they're showing up to a meeting and what they want to or what they need to prepare for right I mean this is a really good example and we could break it down a bit isn't it delivering bad news That's I mean it. such such a bit of a nightmare because we you know we we create a lot of um you know inner turbulence by thinking about you know the reaction that we're going to get from the other person I think if we, um, because fundamentally, you know, when we look at the roots of conflict, you know, it often comes from, you know, being defensive, Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, and I've definitely had that defensive pattern in the past, but if we can come from a point of, you know, not taking it personally, uh, thinking, okay, I'm the bearer of the bad news, but actually you put the problem in front of you. And you think that you're partnering with the other person. Mm. So instead of the problem being between you, think about being it something that you're both facing together. This is so fundamental because that bad news that you're delivering, it's not like you like that news either. You know, it's both something you're probably mm. disappointed about. Yeah. So, yeah, you're thinking about coming at it in partnership. Does that make sense? 
yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. I, I've got a question based on that, Sam, because you're, mm. you're spiking my curiosity and I'm thinking about a scenario like this, right? So say you're going in, you've given the sponsor plenty of time, stakeholder sponsor, use that uh, um, to mean the same thing. But what if you're in that situation where you're getting a sense of blame back and you're coming at it from the point of view that yeah, you want to um, you want to collaborate with them to resolve this issue. This is, issue perhaps is not of your making um, and, and, and you want to collaborate. But what if you're getting the wall? What if you're getting this is your problem? What are you going to do to resolve it? kind of um you know response how how do you contain your emotions and and not go to that blame space to you know mentally self-flagellate yourself going oh shit i better have a good answer on this right how how do you do this yeah oh i mean what a great question i think in the moment there's two aspects of this right there's there's the quality of the relationship We'll come to that in a second. But in the moment, Mm. all you can hope for is your emotional intelligence Mm. kicking in. And this is where you are just aware of how you feel. So I'm feeling really defensive. And if you can, if you can, you know, leaning into a pause and remembering, okay, invoking some curiosity. So Mm. by curiosity, what I mean is... um, Instead of taking on the blame, um, being able to be curious about, you know, um, what are they so frustrated about? You know, what are the um, what is the outcome they're really seeking? You might know that. But what is it they're most worried about around this? Um, And, you know, I think um, the the point about. this strategic relationship building is that Mm. even before you go in to have that difficult conversation, if you have built a better relationship, then that is going to make those kind of conversations easier. And I think that's one of the biggest things around making difficult conversations easier is number one, making your relationships a little bit better. Mm. Now, I know that I have a bit of a perfectionist pattern, and so I'm not saying that all your relationships need to be, like, amazing, you know, like you go around each other's houses on a Sunday for lunch or something. No. But just to the extent of what you're likely to need to do with that person, you know, the amount of um, people that I speak with, the amount of even up in the C-suite that I coach, you know, and they'll unpack this kind of, oh, you know, I wanted to, um, so let me give you a a, a great example. So recently there was a, um, um, an initiative lead and they'd been leading this, you know, incredible program and their business, um, partner really wanted them to stay, but actually for their own career, you know, they could see that, you know, this, this uh, new system that they'd put in was now really kind of in BAU mode. It was just kind of like the Kaizen of ongoing improvement and they wanted to move on to something else. Um, And it was a difficult conversation because they both wanted very different things. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when I was asking him about it, I said, well, why does he want you to stay? And he said, well, I'm not really sure, but I think it's because, you know, we've worked together for a long time and he really trusts me. Right. I said, oh, well, you know, have you asked him? why you want to, why you want him to stay? And he was like, "Mm." 
actually no. And I was like, well, you know, and what's important to this guy? You know, what's he trying to achieve in the next year? You know, he wasn't really sure. Again, it was just like assumptions that had built up in his head. And so there is this aspect that before we even get into that situation of delivering bad news, we just want to build up a bit more rapport mm. with someone. And I, I honestly think that actually we've all suffered a bit from this because of this, you know, we love working from home. We love a bit more, you know, distributed working. But actually, um, when we are remote and doing everything over Zoom, relationships just become more transactional, mm -hmm. you know. And actually, I was up uh, helping facilitate um, a workshop for a company. Uh, you know, they were doing a two-day off-site. And in the preparation for the off-site, you know, there were lots of stories about conflict in the company. There was these difficult relationships between, you know, the more, let's say, the more mature uh, leaders of the company and the more youthful, you know, development and workforce and actually, when we came on site to do the workshop on day two of the off-site, the situation on the ground was completely different. There was so much ease and kind of relaxed banter. And you could tell, you know, there was a real sense of, you know, togetherness. Mm. And all of that had come from them spending a whole day, like, just messing around together. They'd been, you know, punting you know, because it was like Oxford, you know, so they'd been doing that punting thing of, you yeah. know, thankfully nobody fell in. <laughs> they'd done um, escape room games. And, you know, it's just this basic, right, of I think we've forgotten a little bit how actually knowing each other a bit personally, mm. you know, knowing somebody's personal situation, that helps us build trust. And without trust you know, no conversation is going to really go very well when it gets a little tiny bit difficult. So I think to your point, Nisha, when we're delivering bad news, before we do that, we might want to ask ourselves, you know, how much rapport have I actually got built up with this person? Absolutely. I think that there is a lot in that, in that, and that connection. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say this, guys, but I like the next person, I love having my own space doing um, the whole remote working. But equally, when I get the chance to be with my team on site or members of the Agile practice that I'm currently part of, I love it. And I can see also other people thrive in that scenario. Um, so, you know, anyone that says that it's you, you can carry out these tasks in the same vein remotely, I would challenge that because I've personally felt so much different, uh, different feeling, different sentiment, different, deeper level of collaboration when people are on site. Now, that's not saying that working from home doesn't have its place. Yes, it does. But you, you've got to have a mixture of the two because, yeah, it can turn very transactional. And I love the fact that uh, you mentioned around investing that time in making sure that you've got a relationship with your sponsors, your stakeholders and your team members, uh, because that that pays off in forget the accountability, because I think that's got a bit more of a, um, I don't know, a managerial stance to it. But at the end of the day, we're all human. So mm -hmm. it's more the I feel responsible for what I need to do for my part. 
um, and to be able to carry that out to achieve what we want as a team rather than the accountability. So it's a responsibility, I think, that we need to kind of um, nurture a lot more within our teams to say, you know, you're all in this together. It's not a a one-man race. Yeah, I think sometimes people forget that, don't they? Um, Yeah. Like you said, with with more people working remotely, they forget the, um, the importance of those small interactions and... When you're with somebody, you know, on site, you're not necessarily just talking purely about work, are you? You might be talking about family, other things. And from my personal experience, that definitely has a massive impact when you're then in those difficult situations or you have to make a difficult phone call. Well, actually, it, it seems like, okay, I already know this person. So we've already got a relationship. We've got a foundation and it makes it that little bit less difficult because you're not starting from scratch. So I think it does make a massive impact. Absolutely. I think how well we know someone, you know, how much trust we've built up between us really changes or affects the stories that we create in our head, you know. And I really think this thing of blame is so fundamental um, because I think, you know, in, in the delivery space, right. We need to be careful about blame, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think one of the reasons that people feel so defensive sometimes is because they are blaming themselves, you know, and of course, uh, you know, like also stress, you know, that, that really makes things, you know, quite difficult. So, but, you know, just tapping into that thing about, um, you know, relationships and face-to-face time, I think, you know, just especially around technical work I think we've fallen into that there's uh, many many people as many people found it a relief to just be able to be transactional Mm. as people did feel like they were missing something so I think now we're all negotiating this thing of like um I don't know social awkwardness you know that whole thing of I don't know in a way adulting ourselves to get back into the office yeah But one of the things that I think we're missing from an optimization point of view is actually just putting a bit of thought into our interactions, because I just don't think it makes sense to go back into the office for us all to be sat on Zoom calls. You know, what we want to do is really be um, like leaning into having more collaboration. You know, I was going to say collaboration days. It doesn't have to be a whole day, but, you know, Mm. deliberately designing workshops and also deliberately designing for like social time, Mm. you know, because teams that it always used to be said, isn't it? Teams that play together, stay together. And if I think about the best teams I've ever worked with, the best, you know, difficult stakeholders I've ever interacted with is because we've done something socially you know, yeah. I understand what drives them. I understand what makes them seem difficult. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I wonder what you think about about that. Is that the same in your situation? It's well, definitely the same in, in my situations that I've worked in. Um, having that time to have some kind of social interaction and not just purely work definitely builds the relationship Um And I've seen the difference between where we've had to onboard purely remote teams versus Mm. those teams where they have had an opportunity to build that relationship. 
you can see the difference in terms of output or like you said social awkwardness when it then does come time to have the face-to-face it's very awkward (laughs) and sometimes people I think perhaps lose a bit of those social skills so Yeah. yeah it definitely makes a difference that's right. And and I think the thing is, that's when we that's when we shut down, uh, you know, innovation. That's when we shut down mm. collaboration. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, that that's where we come into kind of, you know, just some basics around communication skills. And I think, you know, I, I'm assuming that everybody has good conversational skills already. Right? I know you ladies do on this podcast. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm sure all of our listeners do. But it, I know from my own experience, you know, when we work in the delivery space, we tend to have quite a problem solving mindset, don't we? Mm, We're sort of wired that way. There's a downside with a problem solving mindset because it means that we can be a bit critical. And if we are, you know, in the pressure trying to get things done, we can very easily shut people down by like, Oh no, that's not a very good idea. Or, you know, um, accidentally like criticizing you know like oh that could be better that could be better it's one of the problems of optimization isn't it you're always trying to make something better Mm -hmm. and always making something better has an inherent underlying thing of criticism if you're not careful so in communication skill I think it's just having a few questions because you know um curiosity isn't necessarily natural when we're problem solving mm. if we have some questions in our conversational pattern that we can use this is what really helps us unlock you know again making difficult conversations easier so what I mean by that really is that you know if somebody's coming at you with criticism instead of responding directly to the criticism you ask them questions to flesh out what they're criticizing you for that's immediately going to give you a bit of space to be able to respond better. Hmm. And also if you ask, when you're asking questions, it also signals that you're giving importance to the person who's, who you're asking questions to. Hmm. So I wonder if you've ever tried that, you know, somebody's kind of criticizing you and you've actually asked them questions. And if you notice what the impact of that was. Yes. So that this comes up quite a lot in scenarios during um, sprint reviews for us. Mm. So, you know, where you've got you're demonstrating what the team have been working on um, for the past iteration sprint. And you've got, you know, your stakeholders taking part in that. Um, And for someone like me playing the role of a scrum master or a delivery manager, it's really important to instigate and to level out that dialogue between the teams and the stakeholders, especially when there isn't that relationship there um, on a human level. So it doesn't end up being a criticism. You don't get questions like, well, that's not going to work, is it? Or you didn't think of this, did you? Those questions don't help the creativity because they immediately bring someone's back up. Don't forget, they've spent the past two weeks working on this stuff, right? right? So you go into bat for your team, but you you don't go in in a defensive stance. So it comes up for me quite a lot. Mm. And I, I, um, I have had to learn quite a lot in this area, Sam. It's been a development um, factor for me, for sure, where I'd have to lead with um, questions 
you know, um, using my curiosity to say, you know, to ask things like, well, what what's making you say that? What's the customer need behind that? What yes. do you think that we've missed in our understanding? What do you think that we should have perhaps captured um, or can do better next time we go and refine a particular requirement, for example? So it's it's to it's to come from a place of curiosity, but it really it takes mentally you need to take a step back quickly you need to realize it's not about you and you know what so what if it's a miss so what it's Mm. something that the team is going to learn from you're only human right so it's it's coming but but you need to have that space in you and I guess have those dialogues feel uncomfortable as hell whilst you're in it and then try and pick yourself up yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a great example. And again, like, I, I think the principle always is like, you avoid difficult conversations, mainly by heading them off earlier. And I think one of those um, questions or conversational skills you can lean into earlier on in the cycle, maybe as you're working out the user stories in the first place, is to, so one of the things that I see is that it's, we all work in environments where we don't want to feel stupid. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, I mean, I'm, I think it's underneath it. We're not consciously thinking this, but we think we don't want to ask because yeah. we think they think we should already know. We should already know. But actually one of the techniques and it's, it works really well. If you've got somebody who's a bit of a know-it-all, you know, one of those um, might be a, a, a user, a customer, a stakeholder who's like, no, 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 it has to be this way. If you get them to actually walk you through the steps, so how do you see that working? Mm-hmm. Take, can you walk me through your thinking? Can you talk me through that in detail? Yeah. That's a great technique because you, you signal to them that you're letting them take control, but by having them talk through the detail, not only do you then see their thinking, but you also see where you can influence because mm. you'll be able to spot any gaps. Yeah. You'll be able to spot, you know, where your thinking might differ from them. So I think that's, again, a really good technique that you can use, um, you know, up front in the cycle that, again, should make things a bit easier for you down the line. I like that. Thank you, Sam. Mm. Thank you so much, Sam. You've given us so many tips and tools. And I know there's definitely things that I can implement, you know, straight away to make those difficult conversations easier. Um, But we'd love to know for the conversation today, what would be your key takeaways? Um, So I think it comes down to um, let go of thinking that you're to blame. Lean into courage to know that you know the problem is ahead of both of you not between you and um yeah I think those are the those are the main takeaways I think oh and also that 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 these skills of making conversations making difficult conversations easier can very much be learned Mm, yeah good point yeah Nisha how about you oh um definitely practice um having these conversations um thinking these through before you have the conversations and giving 
the parties that you're having the conversations time to prepare for it and yourself time to prepare for it and I would echo what Sam mentioned around um, not feeling that the problem is about yourself trying to stand apart from a particular problem or particular contentious subject matter that you're just about to speak about um, and confront so yeah I found it super useful thank you Sam Sharon what are yours Oh, so I echo what both of you have said, but I think my key takeaways would be definitely spend some time doing that preparation and think about what your relationship is like with that person. You know, you might not want to dive straight in. You might need to build up to the conversation. Also having empathy. So Sam touched on thinking about it as a partnership. So I think if you're putting yourself in the place of the other person, that can really help the conversation flow. And then I'd say just having courage and realising that, you know, it's something that can be worked on over time. We all have to have these conversations at some point. So don't walk away from it. Just be courageous and and go for it. So, yeah, I think those are mine. Nice. Thanks, guys. And Sam, where can people find you if they want to work with you or connect with you? Oh, so you'll find me on um, LinkedIn. Uh, my profile is under Samantha Kiani, um, and also on Instagram at underscore inspired dot world. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Look out for our next video. Do like and follow us on our social media platforms so you don't miss out. Bye for now.